We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With the best will in the world to Mikel Arteta and the season Arsenal served up, thank you for getting out of the way so we can finally talk about transfers. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can find me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Uh, hope everyone is doing well this morning, afternoon, evening, whenever you're actually listening. Um, it is morning for me. It is afternoon for the gentleman I will be speaking to. And it is that time of, of the year where... If you are on a social media platform that has any kind of postings about uh, football transfers, you are going to be exposed to some absolute weapons-grade bullshit. So we will try to avoid uh, discussing that stuff and stick to the stuff that we think has some legs, some merit. Um, you know. But then again, it's a little bit fun sometimes to dive into that sea of nonsense and just swim around in it a little bit. So we'll, we'll do a little bit of that. Um Next week, we'll do the season summary stuff. So so let me give you a, a heads up on what's going to be coming ahead. So we still have to do our review of our season predictions and how they matched against the season outcomes. And I think, as you can probably guess, they didn't match. <laughs> but, but there were some int- interesting insights there. We'll do a season review. We'll give letter grades or number grades or letter number grades or something like that. Thumbs up, thumbs down, smiley face, sad face. We'll find some way to rate it. And then... Um, what else will we do? We will do uh, overall player evaluations over on the Patreon. Every week, we'll do a deep dive on a player from that season. We will do a scouting review. Uh, we will probably continue to have SCAC because I can't stop Paul from doing it. Um, but actually, people are starting to like that. So there'll be all kinds of good stuff on all kinds of good platforms. And we'll all be together as a beautiful community, which is what this is always about. And here with me now to stop me from talking, to start saying stuff that matters, is the birthday boy himself. And I am worried about his longevity because he is turning 21 today. He might be out on the lash. That actually doesn't mean anything to people in England. See, in America, that's when we are allowed to start drinking. Um, although some people start doing it before that, which tut tut. Uh, here with me now is Clive. You can find him on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello and happy birthday, Clive. Hello, hello. Thank you very much for your best wishes. Yeah. He, he, he did his intro and his outro. That That's his birthday <laughs> thing. His intro, hello, hello, and his outro. Thank you very much. And joining me now from CBS... Uh, a man I have had the good fortune of sharing a beverage with once upon a time, um, but 
who has been ducking this podcast for months, frankly, and uh, has now finally risen to the challenge to speak with us. His name is James Benj, and you can find him on Twitter at, get this, James Benj. Hello, James ben- James Benj. <laughs> Hi, Elliot. Thanks for um, finally giving in to me and letting me come back on here. Uh, it's been a long time in the waiting, but I'm really glad to be on talking with you guys about transfers, the only thing that matters in the whole wide world. Exactly. Yeah, it's interesting because I was able to ignore the Twitter DMs and the Instagram DMs and the TikTok DMs and the Facebook DMs and the LinkedIn DMs. But when a lock of your hair arrived in the mail, that's when I knew (laughs) I got to get this guy on or it's going to start being pieces of him being torn off. So, um, you know, I'm glad we finally got here in the end. Um, Okay. Well, I will start with you, James, since you are the the guest of honor. Let's, Let's talk about, I think, what's getting the most conversations stirred up in the ether, which is the Saliba contract situation. Um, I I am pro-labor, as anyone who knows me knows. And as much as they may make millions and millions and millions of pounds, in the scheme of things, players are labor, right? <laughs> and uh, when players get paid, I think it's a good thing. I think it is good for the players that fund the game, that fuel the game, that fuel our interest. When they are the ones who reap the whirlwind, reap the benefit of the the popularity of the game. And so I that's a long way of saying pay that man his money, as KGB once said in Rounders. Um, William Saliba is an excellent player. He deserves to be paid. I will get into uh, why I think he may deserve to be paid a little more than you might think he deserves to be paid. But let's start with this. Just how realistic do you think it is that Saliba will sign something this summer and that we can all go into next season not having to talk about this anymore? Yeah, it's it's certainly realistic, you know, on the balance of probabilities, I would make it a pretty strong probability. I'm not putting a number on it, but a pretty strong probability that he does sign. It's not these negotiations aren't easy. They never are at this high level. Um but I think there's never not it's been a long time since there's been a sense of of real chaos or 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 fear around Arsenal that, that Saliba might go. Mm. It might happen because the negotiations are still live. And, um, you know, the indications are that it kind of goes back to what you're saying, Elliot, that Saliba and his representatives really want to be paid what they're worth. He has really settled in to life at Arsenal. From what I hear, he, he loves being an Arsenal player. He's got a great partnership with Gabriel. He realises how beneficial this last year has been for his career. And I think he knows that at Arsenal, he's going to have a chance to be to establish himself as one of the best defenders in the world. And then maybe in three, four, five years' time, Real Madrid, PSG, someone like that comes calling. And if they've got the money, maybe things change then. But I don't, I think kind of all parties there, there's a, a belief that, that the best option is to re up with Arsenal. That doesn't mean that things can't change. Um, the money, I know it was Mark Irwin reported that he wants money that would reflect him being one of the best young centre-backs in the world. It shocked Arsenal. I know. It shocked it's, them. It's he want, I mean, player wants lots of money. <laughs> Shock. <laughs> Horror. We've seen this with Saliba, with Van Dijk, um, frankly, with like a Ruben Diaz as well. You can't undervalue centre-backs in the game right now. Um, and I, I fully agree with you. Of course, Arsenal have to do their best to get a good deal here. But the most important thing is They've got to get Saliba on on side, and they know that. Saliba's representatives know that as well. Yeah, well, so one thing that happens, and look, we're all human. We're sitting there, we're scrolling Twitter, you know, just waiting to get our business done on the toilet, and 
And then a, a report comes out that he wants shocking wages. And we're like, why? Why should we're Arsenal? Why should we have to pay this young man shock? But like, first of all, it's a negotiation. And the goal, if you are a good agent, you should push the club as hard and as far and as aggressively as possible to get the best possible deal for your player. Look, we went through this with Saka last summer. He'll give us a discount. He should sign for half if he loves the club. You know, oh, we'll pay him a hundred now because he's still got plenty of years left. He can he can make the big money later. It, it never made sense. And in the end, what happened? Bakayo Saka waited until the leverage started to tilt towards him from a contract standpoint. His his agent did a nice job and got him what it was always going to happen: him staying at the club he loves for a wage that reflects his significance, not just on the pitch, but to the organization globally. And I don't have any problem with an agent or a player doing that because that is literally their job to to get the best possible compensation. The other thing that I just want to point out, and Clive, this is the thing where I think people sometimes get it wrong as, that that's condescending, let me change it. I think people have an idea that I disagree with about how to look at wages. The idea of, he hasn't done anything yet. What's he achieved in the game? Ideally, you should always be paying your biggest wages to players for what they will do in the game. And ideally, what you're not doing is paying the biggest wages to players who have already done their biggest things in the game. Like with Ozil and Aubameyang, as we saw, and I hate to always point to them because they are outliers to some extent, but we paid them massively for what they had done at a time in their career where they were unlikely to be able to do it again. I'll never be upset giving a big wage to a player who already looks to be arriving as one of the best in the game so that we can have them during potentially some of the best years of his career. That's ideally what you want to do. Um, The other thing is player wages set the market. So people say, how can you pay him what Van Dyke gets? He's not Van Dyke. Well, he's not yet. I mean, he's better than Van Dyke currently, but he's not what Van Dyke was. But we see this in American sport all the time, right? A, A player, a quarterback in the NFL gets a wage, And the next quarterback to negotiate uses that wage as the benchmark, even if that quarterback's not as good in it, it just, it sort of sets the market. So where do you stand on this idea of, is it a, is it a bad precedent to start paying young players this much? Should, you know, should we be going to a very big level? How much does leverage play into this? Given the fact that if we don't give him the wage he wants, we may lose the asset altogether. Cause 'cause you know, what's funny if you say he should only get 160 and he's asking for 220. It's a couple million pounds a season for an 80 or 70 million pound asset to stay versus potentially leaving for free. Clive, there's a lot there. I've not asked a question. I've expressed all of my thoughts. So it's um it's an A-plus episode of the Arsenal Vision podcast already. Please uh, let me know what you think on really any topic. Yeah, How are the flowers? Let's talk about Saliba a little bit. I think um, sometimes <laughs> if, you man should, if, you were to show, if you were to say offer him 110 and he was to sign it, that's Ben White old money. Right, so mm-hmm. what are you really saying? So you might get him to sign it, but you're not really investing in him. You're saying that Good this point. is where we see in the squad. So when, the, like, like in any of our jobs, when that headhunter calls you, if you're on good money and you've got a good environment, you have a good role, you say, "Yeah, mate, cheers, thanks a lot, but I'm okay where I am." If you've been shortchanged by your employer, then guess what? When that phone call rings, and his phone will always ring, you will start to listen. So don't shortchange. Don't risk unsettling one of your star players. Just in just invest in him properly. Invest in him by supporting him with other players to, to show them that they're signing their contracts. Make sure that he understands that where our ambitions are still going forward. And um, 
And make sure you don't put yourself in a situation where you've got to go and spend $60 million on a centre-back and then pay him 200 anyway. That's just not good business. And by the way, we're saying all this, and the guys in the mahogany rooms at Arsenal are way smarter than us, and they wouldn't, they've made mistakes recently, and they're not going to make these mistakes again. Right? So they'd be absolutely dumb to not realise, particularly where the game is going from a footballistic point of view, how we all understand the, the value of build-up, and he's got that in his back pocket. He can run. You can do anything you like. He's big, six foot four, weighs 100 stone, but can still move. No one can push him. One on one killer. What do you? What are you? What are you asking for? What? You, what literally are you waiting for at 22? He's only going to mm. create an aura that's going to grow. I learned this from you, Elliot, about paying for almost potential. So say that Arsenal. Just say it's one. It's 160. Who, who cares? I don't think it should be north of 200 because that takes him into the above Saka level and close to Jesus level. And I don't think that's quite where we should be. It doesn't mean it can't be in stages, you know? So um, and it's what the negotiation is. So that's my personal well, view. I just think we have a player that suits our club. and There's not one single Arsenal person that doesn't want him to stay. So the club will, will get there. I mean, the tequila chant has to be worth a couple... 10, 15,000 extra pounds a week, right? Just so that we can continue to sing the tequila chant. Um, would, Clive, let me I say with you just... 10, 15,000 a week to get them to stop singing this tequila chant. <laughs> okay, I, I, I just want I would just want to be clear. That's James Ben saying he has 10 to 15,000 <laughs> extra pounds per week. Um, so, you know, if you're looking for an employer of choice, I would recommend CBS. Um, uh, Clive, let me say with you just for a second on something though. In terms of the position on the pitch, like one of the debates... Whenever a club is determining whether to pay a player at an elite level, the question is replacement value, right? If I have to go out into the market and replace this player, what will I have to outlay and what is the likelihood I can replace them? And there's always debates about this is the hardest position to replace or this is the hardest position. Right now, what do you think the the likelihood is that if we, let's say, so let's say it's August 30th, he won't sign. He's like, I'm going to leave for free next summer. We take 70 million from PSG um, and it's deadline day and we're scrambling around for the next pair of sacker. Like how do you evaluate God, that was this terrifying hypothetical. I've just crafted. I've got chills. Um, where do you, where do you think center back sits right now for our system and in football generally in terms of a position that would be a challenge to replace and, and is important to prioritize in terms of his, his profile. Uh, it's a, it's a challenge. Everyone's replaceable, but it's a challenge. If you look at this season where we started, say we're doing this end of last year, his introduction, Zinchenko's introduction and Jesus' introduction changed all our lives. You know, the house Zinchenko came in, Sleeper's assurance and level of comfort he gave us and the fact that the centre forward that could take the ball, move, challenge and run, right? So that gave us a structure that we that we were lacking, right? So, um, so it's very important. When he came out, I don't think we arrived on the right solution. We can say that now based on solutions we ended the season with, which I think were better. Ben White's the closest in our group. There are players out there like Mark Gay and Edmund Tapsoba, by the way, that I think Arsenal will potentially be looking at for a while. They're strong defenders, one-on-one defenders, but I, I want Sleeper to stay. And the mood music is they don't want to go. They're just negotiating. So I, I'm not really worried at it from a... I'm not really worried. I'll tell you why I'm not worried. I'm not worried because Arsenal can do no more. This It cannot be better than this, apart from a couple of trophies over their head. They can do no more. He is loved within the club, within the fan base. He's got 
a right balance of partner next to him. He's got people all around him that understand his game. He understands their game. They can do no more. If that player wants to go, if then he's not the right player for us. It's as simple as that. And that's how you got to view it. You know, he is not yeah. the right player for us. And maybe more importantly, he's not the right person for us. And that is as important. Is well, as since important. You, by the way, I will say if we get linked to Top Soba, James, you're a writer. I'm just going to give it to you. Arsenal go shopping for noodles and rice. Right? <laughs> I mean, just just file that away. You can have that one for free. Because, um, you know, Soba, Soba noodles. Uh, never explain the joke, Elliot. Come on. Um, well, well, a couple things there, James, actually. In terms of can do no more, this is a relationship that once upon a time, an idiot podcaster, um, currently speaking, said that he felt the relationship was destroyed by certain behaviors of the club. I was critical of the club in terms of the way we manage the loan moves. And I, look, it's important when you get things wrong to call yourself out. I got this really wrong. I have, I have spent some time talking into this microphone, although I think I had a different microphone at the time. So it doesn't, it was the microphone's fault. Um, saying that I thought we, we mismanaged the, the Saliba situation. And, you know, for example, when we gave his number to Ben White, like I, I thought that was going to be a problem. Well, now we're in a contract negotiation. I guess you are seeing, you know, again, reports, they could be completely um, apocryphal, you know, of the relationship is, is not perfect. I don't, I don't, I honestly don't see any sign of that at all. But do you think that any of the way that this has developed prior to this season in terms of the extended loans and the number and all of that nonsense, do you get any sense, or even if you don't know specifically, do you have any any hint yourself that maybe the relationship was in a slightly bad place due to some of the things that went before? Yeah, I mean, I don't think you were wrong at the time. And let's be frank, you weren't the only person saying that. I wasn't the only wrong person, which is good. No. Good, to, good to have <laughs> Many, company. Everyone's <laughs> wrong. Aren't they actually yeah. right? Um, that's a, <laughs> a question. What is um, truth? Um, it, it is absolutely fair to say that that the relationship was tense and strained in the years um, when Arteta came in. I think there was an awful lot of mismanagement from Edu and Arteta. I, I think um, failing to sort I, I, the years kind of merge into one in the COVID period, but failing to, to sort him that loan. So he had to spend six months in the reserves. I know that was a, a cause of real frustration, but look, Arsenal's pitch to Saliba would be to, I, I suspect would be to acknowledge that, look, we haven't managed you perfectly, but that doesn't mean we can't address that. And we've shown we can address that going forwards. And maybe we should have, committed to you earlier. I think we, they certainly picked the right loan moves as the process wore on. And I think he was a far better player for having spent a year at Marseille and, you know, getting the challenge of playing top level football or, or for a top club in a lesser league. I think that hugely benefits Saliba. And I'm not sure if he'd been thrown in ahead of Ben White in that season that, uh, you know, the season where Arsenal finished fifth, that, that maybe he would have been quite as successful as he was from that, that time in, in Marseille. The other thing mm. I would say is, Arsenal have, over the past 18 months, kind of changed the way in which they manage players and their contractual situation such that it's not quite so much about ticking clock and we'll deal with you when we're ready to deal with you, but more proactively rewarding performance. Obviously, that hasn't been something they've been able to do with Saliba because they haven't had the evidence base. But just look at Gabriel Martinelli, who was pretty much publicly campaigning for a new contract. Uh, he didn't need one. Arsenal had him tied down for a very long time. But they took the view of, you're, good, you're, you're a really good footballer that we are not paying wages commensurate with your talent. 
here's more money. Actually, not many more years. Same with Ramsdale. Mm. They could easily activate the uh, option in Erdegaard's contract and they've got him for three years. And you take the view of, well, we don't need to think about Martin Erdegaard's future next season, but he's underpaid versus the player he is. And, you know, if you want to curry good favour, Saliba's agents will know this as well. If you want to curry good favour, you start playing players what you think they're worth. That There is one thing that sort of needles in the back of my mind a little bit going into this summer mm. is the sense that, you know, you go right the way back to when we met in 2019, was it? And then all that Josh Cronkey talk about getting a Europa League wage bill for a Europa League com- uh, club. Right. Yeah. This season was the season that Arsenal had a Europa League wage bill and a Champions League squad. That is going to change really quickly, not just from recruitment, yep. but from paying Aaron Ramsdale, Martinelli, Erdegaard, White will probably happen soon after, starting to pay them what they're, what they're worth. That's fine if you keep qualifying for the Champions League and it's the right thing to do and it will be noticed. But, you know, the the era of of being able to spend £100 million on on Declan Rice and go for a few other players may kind of dry up quite quickly when your wage bill becomes one representative of the second best team in England. Yeah, I mean, I think it's worth pointing out though that Aubameyang's wages, Ozil's wages, Kolasinac's wages, Williams' wages, Pepe's wages. Think about the literal millions of pounds a week that went off the books or are finally coming off the books as late as this summer that will go instead to a raise for Saka, a new contract for Saliba, a raise for Martinelli, for Odegaard, right? These are wages being much better spent. It's not always what you're paying. It's what you're getting for what you're paying. I mean, you know, if if you want to pay lower wages, but you wind up with Southampton's squad, you get relegated, right? So your wages should reflect the caliber of player you have. Um, by the way, I think this is one thing that gets overlooked in a wage debate. At some level, it's also like everything in football, just down to talent evaluation. Do you rate the player? If you think Saliba is one of the best center backs in football already and on his way to maybe being at the very top of the game, it'd be silly to argue over virtually any wage. If you think you've got prime Virgil van Dyke or better in your squad right now, that's where he's headed. Of course you pay him. If you think he's still rough around the edges and he may not get there and you think he's overrated, then yeah, it's why would you give that guy 200 grand a week? So at some point, it's always down to player evaluation. One thing that we should touch on, Clive, though, is trust. And I don't just mean trust in players, trust in the manager, trust in Adu. And it look, this is this is going to rankle some people, but trust in KSE. And I only bring it up because look at their other sports properties. Suddenly they look like they get this, like they're making good hire. And, and it's not, again, I realize those other sports properties are different because they're salary cap leagues. They don't have to just throw money at the problem. But part of being successful in sport, as we saw with Liverpool, is not just how much you spend. It's who you hire. It's how you think about the sport. Can you crack the code? Can you be smarter than the rest of the the rest of the teams around you? And for the first time, we look at KSE and we see an organization that is thriving in other sports. And this season was pretty good for Arsenal. Do you... Do you think that maybe the, the the level of trust should be going up organizationally with Mikel, with Adu, with the whole organization based on what we're seeing happening at some of the other properties? Yeah, I've never been one to sort of uh, hammer KSE because 
on what basis am I doing it? Based on mm. things on talk sport and things like that? It's rubbish. I'm not interested in that type of um, stuff feeding into my head. What I have done, and maybe what I didn't realise, was how damaging dual ownership was to the club. That was a period where I feel we drifted. And since 2018, was it, when KSC got 100% ownership, there's been a change. Not always been smooth, but there's been a change in approach. And there's definitely been a change since Tim Lewis came on board. That's been a significant change. And there's been a change in engagement and investment. And I think investment and engagement are equally as important. I didn't think fans felt the engagement from the ownership now they're more engaged, right? So when you're more engaged, suddenly you get better investment, more aligned investment. And those are things that maybe when we were going through the dual ownership with Usmanov, we didn't realize how damaging that was until we can now look back in hindsight and think, actually, we were not great during that period. Yeah, the guy holding the club up on his own, making decisions which were may not have always had the best outcomes or motivations that left us with a massive wage bill and left us with people at the wrong age profile and just taking money out of the club, right? So um, mm. that's changed, right? So that's changed. And to James's point, he, he did touch on something earlier there, which has been in my head as well. We have, two years ago, we went young, 22-year-olds, bang, bring them in. They've now developed two years later into young international players some of them have, one or two have dropped off, like Sambi, for example, haven't quite gone there yet, but most of them have been a success. So now they're, now they're getting big boy money. Right, so, but I'm hoping, and this is smart business, there's a clause in there that says, if we're not in the Champions League, then, then that money changes. If you don't do that, then you're going back to a situation where we were in, with players that are not quite as motivated outside of Champions League, in Europa League, on Champions League money. So why would you do that again? Right? So there needs to be a, a strong bonus incentive to make sure we stay at the right end of the table. And um, so this is important, not just to get to this level once, but to be here for half a decade. And how are we going to do that? You know, And that's where my head is at the moment on all our recruitment. Um, I'm sure you'll get onto that a little bit later. I'd, I'm just going to dream bigger and say I want to be here for five decades. That's just the half a decade will will not satisfy me. I will be angrily screaming into this microphone in, in four and a half years. Um, James, I think we can move off the Saliba conversation, which was intended to be the first 10 or 12 minutes of the podcast. And in true to, true to podcast form, we're 25 minutes in or so. Um, let's let's do a little bit of, of a rumor thing. We're going to get to Emil Smith-Rowe in a bit, but I want to talk Declan Rice first. Um we we have been strongly linked with Declan Rice for a while now. I still believe it'll happen. There were rumors of Bayern interest. Declan Rice going to Bayern never really felt like a fit to me. Um, and maybe that is a, a, a prejudice thing because we just tend to think of young English players staying in England. And they don't always, but it has been sort of a trend. I mean, the, the allure of the Premier League, you know, staying in London, a top, 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 top club like Arsenal. I mean, who could say No. But let, let me just ask you this. Your opinion of the player, is is he the guy you push all the chips in for? It it certainly would seem that if we go for him, he will be the big splash of the summer. Is he that guy? Is he, what do they say? Is he him, as he, the kids say? He is him. He, oh, good. I, 
you know, I I am always very conscious as a an English journalist, often writing for an international audience, what the um, international view is of English assessment of English talent. Um, I know that's quite a wordy way of trying to get my point across, but I think this guy is phenomenal. Uh, I know there's been a lot of talk about, is he the Xhaka replacement? Is he the eight? Is he the Parte replacement as the six? He's whatever you want him to be. I really, really ad- admire and enjoy watching this guy. I saw a lot of West Ham last season in the Europa League, um, this season in the Premier League. And yeah, if Arteta wants him to be the the six again, and I think that would be probably the, his perfect role for me in 90% of Premier League games where Arsenal are going to dominate possession, dominate territory. He's outstanding. He is a brilliant ball carrier. He's got that party-esque ability to draw the press and run through it. Equally, I think you've seen this season with West Ham quite often because he has to. He can be the eight and get into the box, win headers, finish on the rebound. He could do that. And I would love the idea. One of the things I really like about what Arsenal are looking at doing in their midfield business is I can see a world where they're going to the Etihad and Arteta's saying, give me, and I know Clive, you're going on about this at the end of the season, give me those two strong midfielders to to protect and shield. And if we come away with a nil-nil, that's fine. But mm. equally, you know, Rice is your Rice is your deep midfielder. Absolutely no, no trouble there. I think he's been actually quite poorly served by not necessarily a criticism of David Moyes. It's just the players he has. He's been quite poorly I mean, served by the players. Go, go on. <laughs> I, really like, I really like David Moyes. I, I know that's mm. a, another unpopular thing to say here. On I, I'd like him to be the United manager again, so we can agree <laughs> on that. <laughs> he's just a, he's a sort of nice footballing uncle who went through some tough sure, times. That yes. he can tell he is a vuncular. Over, uh, over a pint. But I think, you know, he's had next to him Thomas Suchek, who can't do much beyond get in the box and head the ball. And he's basically been teaching Lucas Paqueta the ropes. It's not a great trio there for bringing the most out of Rice. Um, Arsenal, you know, dependent on who the left eight is or whether he ends up being the left eight, I think he will fit in like a glove. I know as well that, and I've, I keep hearing this, I keep asking this question over and over again since I think I first wrote about it in February. It's like, is it is he still excited by Arsenal? Everything I hear is he is. Obviously, there are other clubs that are going to try and make persuasive pitches to him. But Elliot, you laid out the reasons why Arsenal's a great fit for him, and I know he this season he's been he's been taken with the idea. So um, yeah, I, I I think this is great. Um, I have to say I I've not found an Arsenal transfer this invigorating since Özil. Mm. Well, I mean, he also could be a European champion as soon as like, is that Wednesday next week? I think. Yeah. Wednesday. So, I mean, that obviously would be huge to have a conference league champion in our, in our squad, (laughs) a a kid, but you know, it's a trophy. Um, I, I think it's interesting, Clive, because there's so many advanced metrics out there. It's expected threat. And there's, you know, there's all kinds of ball progression metrics you can look at and um, XG chain. But there's one really simple one, pass completion percentage. And I think there's an interesting thing about Declan Rice. He's elite at, at a phrase you've taught me, regain, retain. He is one of the uh, most proficient ball winners in all of the Premier League. And he does not lose the ball. 
He gets it back and he keeps it. I think what we've seen this season, where we play on the pitch, we need to win the ball and we need to keep the ball. And when we lose a Zinchenko, for example, who's a 90% passer and we play with a Tierney who's a 75% passer, that little difference, those little dispossessions, or even when Zinchenko makes a brain fart, right? Where, where we're playing on the pitch, look at Odegaard, right? A couple giveaways in a few games during the run-in that cost us goals. You need a player who is great at winning it back and a player who is strong on it and does not give it away. And that's Declan Rice. And then, oh, by the way, he's got a traction engine for a for a foot, and he can he can, you know, give you those extra odd goals that, for example, a granite Shaka gave us surprisingly this season, um, two of which I enjoyed last Sunday. So do you think that that's a big part of this, Clive? Is that the two things we really prize in our football, winning it back and keeping it, are two things that he is absolutely exceptional at doing. Yeah, I think this is a longer conversation, Elliot, but we all watch football, right? So, Aren't they all with us? <laughs> <laughs> we all watch football, and teams are very organized today. Coaching levels are, are becoming standardized, and teams now have to do a low block, 4-4-2 low block. They can do that all day. They can go 4-5-1. They can protect the outsides. They can double up on the outside, stop you penetrating there. They've been learning how to protect the half space. We watch watch stuff. We see data. We watch all the passing maps. What you can't control is the transition phase of the game. That is the unknown phase of the game. So in possession, you can have your pattern play. We we can all recognize now what Arsenal are doing. Out of possession, you can have your system wherever you want to be, mid-low block, whatever you want to do. But transition, that's the area Gold, I'll call it. Defensive transition, offensive transitions. What do you do off the ball? How do you read passing patterns? How do you create mini transitions, accelerations in your team? So having people that can accelerate from a from a turnover possession, accelerate into areas, into broken field, that's the uncoachable bit. That's the bit we can't predict. That's the bit when you're waiting for a mistake. And people who can force mistakes, win the ball and drive and carry and create good attacking options. That's the bit. So if you're a coach, you know what you can control. It's the uncontrollable bit you want to get hold of. People that literally take the ball from you and progress it. And the two players we're linked to are elite at taking the ball from you in those central areas and driving. Lose the ball in the center of the pitch, we know what happens. Martin Odegaard, our player of the season, Lose the ball in the centre of the pitch. It's in the back of your net. It doesn't matter if it's Knott's Forest or Man City. It's in the back of your net. You can't do it, right? You have to protect that area. So if we lose, we've got the ability to catch people, great. But, but controlling the transitions in the game and creating your own offensive transitions, that's the bit of that's one of our weaknesses, would you say, when people go a little bit longer, second ball, yeah. second yeah. ball, managing second balls consistently when teams stretch the pitch out on us. And then creating our own momentums and accelerations. And I've looked at this for a while. So when I looked at it and I went, ah, you know what? This is a bloke at West Ham that does this for fun. This is literally what he does. He what he does is exactly what we need. You know, you could just write down a bit of paper and say, what are our weaknesses in that area? And he does all of them. And so my views on him have changed over a period of time because I realize it's not always about the risk-taking. In central areas, and you know I'm a huge Thomas Party fan, and I love the way he manipulates the ball, particularly first touch, and clips the ball, no look passes. I love it, a bit like Thiago. I love that creative player in there. But the game is changing again, 
and evolving again. And it's evolving towards the Declan Rises and the Kaisados because of the structure and the risk-taking mm. in central areas. It's, you have to have this. This is the next phase for us. And this is why I firmly believe, I said it to, I was on the podcast with Andrew yesterday, I said it, this is the moment to press the button. It is the moment to press the button in here and really future-proof what we're trying to achieve. Make yep. sure in that back five, you're saying to people, you know, our 3-2 build-up, you're saying to people, don't even bother coming in here. Don't even bother. It's no point. You're going to get munched. Right? So, and that's the aura that Man City have got right now. You don't even bother getting in there. Yeah. And we're showing people our knickers, I'm afraid, in the outside areas. We are. Um, it's great when it's when it's when it's great. But in April, in the money months, you can't show people your knickers, mate. You've got to say, nah, don't, you're not coming in here. If you come in here, you're not coming out in one piece. And I want a couple, I want a few more of those players to make sure we can maintain our play in the, you know, my you know my analogy earlier, in the in the mm. in the playoffs, right? Because in yeah. the playoffs post-international break, we've been weak the last two years. It's a great point. I will point out some people make their money showing their knickers, and that's fine too. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I do think it is, look, you should never buy a player. Well, I shouldn't say a player, but you shouldn't buy your star player because of versatility. But it is interesting. You look at like a Ben White, for example. Ben White was bought to be a center back. He was a very good center back. Then we got an even better center back, and Ben White became a right back, and he was one of the best right backs in the league. And Ben White has more than justified the transfer fee we spent on him at two positions. I don't think it hurts that Declan Rice can play center back. He said, I'm a center back. Well, that'd be a hell of a center back if you wanted it to be. You can play him in the six if you want to be a little more robust. And you probably, I mean, the playing him at an eight thing, I think is hy- hypothetical more than anything. But I thought playing Shaq at the eight was hypothetical. And look at how that worked. So all the positions are on the table and he'd probably fit all of them. You know, when you buy a player who is talented and physically dominant, you know, you've got a lot of optionality, as the fancy people say, with what you're going to do with that move. Now, I think we will get Rice done, and I think it will move the needle for us. And I've come around a little on this because we did a scouting video. It's on our Patreon. We did a Rice and a Caicedo scouting video. I recommend you look at it. You will. the, The good thing about the scouting videos is YouTube comps will show you what a player is great at, but they won't show you some of the nuance of the player. And I think what I saw in Rice's scouting video, and you can go judge for yourself, is just that some of those little short-range stab passes, he's a bombastic player in big spaces and open spaces. There's no player like him, and he will dominate them. And he will dominate the way he regains the ball, but he's aggressive, so he's going to go in to regain the ball. Kind of what a Jorginho does, interestingly, in a different way. Jorginho doesn't want to be in a running race back. He doesn't want to shoulder to shoulder. He wants to win the ball early. Rice tries to win the ball early, and he's very, very good at it. Rice also likes to play the long pass, the big switch, the big carry. Those little balls, the little exchanging balls that Party and Zinchenko do to one another, I think that's a part of his game that can develop. Now, as James pointed out, maybe when you have Suchek and a, a learning Paqueta next to you, that's not your game. So let's just see how it develops. I've come around on the player, though, and I think I think if that's where we plant our flag this summer, so be it one place it looks like we're not going to plant our flag is Mason Mount. Now, I have heard rumors, back-channeled rumors with the people that talk to me, and to be clear, those people are mice. <laughs> Um, that we were close to Mount, that we wanted Mount, that that was serious, that link. The data people love Mason Mount, and the data people are never wrong, he says, laughing at the data people. I'm kidding. I love the data people. <clears throat> I got myself among them. But 
I have diverged from them on Mason Mount. When I watch Mason Mount, I don't see an Arsenal player. And I will admit, if they're wearing Chelsea blue, I struggle to see Arsenal player. I just, I can't get there. I can't get there. But there's something about Mount's game that I think is very end product-y, but not very precise in the way that we need to play. Um, I do think, for example, he could be a player for those transitions that Clive described, but I'm not sure he could be a player for... 75% 75% possession in the final third. Um, it, again, all of this, I could be way, way off. Like I said, the data people love him. It looks like Mount's going to go to United. It looks like it's going to be big, big money. I'm not going to cry any tears over that deal not working out. But for you, was was that the perfect piece for the role that Shaq is leaving behind and maybe the, the alternate role behind Odegaard? How do you feel about Mount and Arsenal not getting Mount um, You know, for a position that we are going to have to address? Which one of us was that aimed at? Oh, so, sorry, James. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, James, you. Yeah. Cool. Uh, look at the look. Look at the polite guy over. I mean, <laughs> I'd have three guys normally, James, talking into their microphone simultaneously. But you asked politely if it is your turn, and so you are welcome back anytime. Yes, go. Please, certain, please go. Just to be certain, um, I certainly think the the Mason Mount of of this season, and I think you have to caveat when you describe the Chelsea player of this season, um, just how hilariously incompetent everything at that club has been. And that is going to Yeah, make, he had a bad season. They had a bad season. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's, that's going to make good players look bad. Um, and there's plenty of bad players there that have been made to look diabolical um, by everything that's happened at Chelsea this season. I'm kind of with you that I, I always thought it was a little bit of a, a weird fit as a left eight with Erdegaard Insofar as I, I did wonder if there would be a, a little bit of um, wasted talent there, in that one of the one of the great things about Erdegaard is how effective he is at conducting the press. Um, I think one of the few players that might be better at, at, than him at that is the Mason Mount of, of Thomas Tuchel's time at Chelsea. Interesting. I thought he was really mm-hmm. fantastic at that. Do I want two players in, as a left eight doing the doing those things really highly? I mean, these are players that would push high up the pitch. Their other big contributions would be end product. I, I think one of the the joys of of a player like Xhaka in that left eight role, and and Gundogan as well, who we all know Arsenal are looking at. We'll see how likely that is. I think the Kovacic uh, latest be, Gundogan rumor is Barcelona, close to Barcelona. Was we'll yes, but then I have to take everything Barcelona with this gigantic pinch of salt. That is, where on earth are they finding the money for that? Well, well yeah, I was just going to say, they just sold four rows of seats from the new camp. So, so they're fine. Now. Yeah, you must call it the Spotify camp. No, the, you the must. Spotify camp. New. No. Sorry. I yes. yes. Angry <laughs> Daniel X finally that. getting his piece of a football <laughs> club. There you go. Yeah. I've had angry emails about that. So, I mean, I, 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 I don't know. I don't particularly know whether Gundogan would happen, but there was a fit of a player that could, give you the penalty box production. I think he produces in the penalty box better than than so many players in his position, but balance that with a, a little bit more solidity. A lot of coaches, including Tuchel, tried to, to have Mount as a 6-8 hybrid. And I always thought that Mount was looked more at ease as the 8-10 hybrid that Erdegaard really is. So it wasn't one I was, you know, shouting off the rooftops thinking get it done. I think there is a, from a, from a purely enjoyment perspective, there is something I would think quite pleasant about taking a Chelsea player in their prime that Chelsea want to keep, as opposed to getting their cast offs much too late. 
Um, but I don't really think you should be making transfer business based on that fun as it would be. I look at it and think 55, 60, 70 million pounds. It just didn't quite, it didn't all fully add up. I don't think it would have been a disastrous move. I just don't think it would be the best profile of player Arsenal could get for that left eight. And it's so, it's so, so, so important to get that right. Cause mm. it's the only position right now that I look at in that squad and with Xhaka out the door, there is no left eight. You need to get a, a starter quality player in there. So yeah. Yeah. You have I, to I think it isn't the right one. I think it's a very, very important position um, to get right for us. Interestingly, like, so if you eliminate this season and go back to last season um, in terms of XG plus XA, right? So expected goals plus expected assists. He was about 19th in the league. Um, but that put him in good company. I mean, just ahead of Bruno Fernandez, just behind Gabriel Martinelli, just behind Jack Grealish. Um, you know, he's basically a right winger that season. Well, right winger yeah. 10. Yeah. I'm, I'm not, I'm, he doesn't play eight for Chelsea because no I don't think he's like it's just something about his his play like I said I, I could see it suiting the transitions I I don't well Clive why, why don't you settle the argument here look I don't want to spend too much more time on this so quickly because it looks like he's going to be a United player not an Arsenal player but if we were linked we must have liked him and you got to trust our evaluation lately so I'm sure the club will be disappointed to miss out I would think if they were genuinely interested what's your take on this uh, non-transfer yeah, I'm not sure how genuinely interested we were, uh, if I'm honest with you. Interesting. Um, and so I've got some thoughts developing here. And I think we will buy two centre-mids. You know the two that I'd like. Yeah. They, are, yep. they are quite adaptable. And I think we have an opportunity to de- develop in that position. Develop one of our own, maybe. You know, and... Um, I think there needs to be a, a different construction in the front end of the pitch and the back end of the pitch. So rather than in, in you know, have a Sinchenko inverted all of the time, it, I don't see any issues with him playing left centre mid from the start and having and doing what we saw with Thomas Party on the right back situation on occasions. You could use Ben White to invert from centre back like Man City do with Stones if you want to. I think the most important thing is to have different configurations in that back three, five, that three-two. Tinchenko can definitely play that left centre mid, right? If you if you wanted to, Declan Rice always plays left six for for West Ham. Plays the left hand side, Sutek on the right. So that's going to be interesting to see what happens to him, and depends again who we buy, right? If we invert party from the right back, then suddenly you have got your centre mid sitting there, two centre mids, party and Rice, Rice on the left hand side. Inverted on his right foot, bagging switches to his mate Saka on the right-hand side. I do think, I don't see enough difference with Mount to what we already have. Um, I'd rather see a more, you know, if if Arsenal decided to, to play Declan Rice in that Shaka position, I'm happy with that. I, I like the idea of that. I think Rice is underdeveloped, undercoached, and never really had a positional manager to play positional play. You know my views, Elliot. And I think he would thrive once he takes off the West Ham cape off of his back, where he's allowed to do everything he wants to do, has 10 mm. touches before he passes the ball. I was watching Shaq at the weekend. His one-touch play has gone, up, gone through the roof. Imagine if Rice has mm. one-touch, picking it one-touch, and then running. Shaq can't do, he can't carry over big distances. Rice's carries are massive. So think evolution. We are not going to play the same. 
we are not going to play the same. And I don't want us to. I, I, I don't. Because I know this system. I know it I know it really well. We all do. We can write it down in our sleep. If we can write it down, all the laptop boys, the other clubs can write it down. We have mm. to change. We have to change. We have to be open to it. You know, and I... I'm having this massive debate. I don't think you'll get them to centre forwards. If you are, I hold this debate in my mind. If you are, but I'm, you know what, it's coming out. I can't hold it. I can't hold it. Right. So, <laughs> can, can, can you hold it long enough for me to pay some bills? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll hold it. But come back to you on centre forward. Okay, okay I'll, I'll come back to you on centre forward. Evolution. I had it on the list. We also have to get to Emil Smith Rowe because that's the only reason James Bench well, that, came on the party. That's you part of the discussion. So I'm oh, ready for oh, okay. this. Okay. Uh, okay. That's really good. That's really good. But. You know what else is really good? What else is really good is protecting your browsing history, browsing for the things you want to see. You just heard Clive talk about the laptop boys. I'm going to tell you something. I think we pretty much all have a laptop at this point. We're all the laptop boys and girls, I should mention. Um, and if you are using a laptop or even a phone, you should be protecting your browsing with a VPN. And I recommend NordVPN. Uh, in fact, I use NordVPN. NordVPN will let you do a few things. First of all, one of the things that I love that it lets you do is browse in another location. So when I want to watch Match of the Day, I simply browse in the UK. If I'm in the UK and I want to watch, let's say, NBC, because you know I have a Peacock, a Peacock sub subscription, um, which is a thing that wouldn't have made sense to me 10 years ago, uh, I can browse back in the US. Uh, Nord lets you easily jump from region to region. It also protects your browsing. It keeps your uh, history and your IP address private it has um threat protection so it'll stop spyware from getting malware from getting installed on your uh computer before you even start say goodbye to intrusive website ads as well um here's the thing there's a 30-day money-back guarantee so you can give it a try if you like it great if you don't like it they'll issue you a refund pretend the whole thing never happened okay you go to nordvpn.com forward slash arsenal vision i'm gonna double check that is that what it is nordvpn arsenal vision uh yeah, that's it. NordVPN.com forward slash Arsenal Vision uh, to, to prove that it's true. I just tried it. And here's what you're going to get. You can get a huge discount on a two-year subscription plus one free month. Uh, NordVPN.com forward slash Arsenal Vision. Do it now. Okay, good. That's one check. Uh, now, I also have to tell you about Shopify. Um, if you are building a website for e-commerce, you should use Shopify. I really should stop there. Nothing else has to be said. It is exactly what you should do. I've done it. I cannot speak highly enough about it. They can help you sell on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and uh, whatever the other ones are that I forgot to mention. Um, they will uh, help you put videos into your site and pictures into your site, and they will take care of shipping. But where where they really come to the fore, too, is I think the checkout process. When it's time for someone to put down their hard-earned money for your merchandise for your art for your baked goods for whatever it is someone wants to feel that there's a credible competent person behind the, you know behind that website there and shopify makes that checkout process feel competent feel professional feel reliable they have all the security for credit cards and things like that they will help you with things like taxes and shipping and all that so shopify is really the only way to easily and effortlessly create a super professional website and here's what they're going to do they're going to let you get a one dollar per month trial so sign up for a one dollar per month trial period at shopify.com slash arsenal vision all lowercase didn't know the internet works that way but that's what you're supposed to do go to shopify.com slash arsenal vision to take your business to the next level today shopify.com slash arsenal vision and finally last but, and I stress this, certainly not least, a new sponsor of the Arsenal Vision podcast that we are thrilled to have. 
That is Oakley. Oakley sunglasses. What an iconic brand. Uh, I will say this, by the way. Kylian Mbappe wears Oakley sunglasses, and I am reliably told that if you wear them, you will be as good at football as Kylian Mbappe. So, you know, look, that that seems like a small price to pay to be one of the best players maybe in history. You know, just, just think about it. But look, uh, I wear my Oakley sunglasses when I'm driving. I love the styles. I love the quality. The, the quality is really important. I've had a lot of sunglasses. They break. They fall off. They, they're not put together right. These are high-quality frames and lenses. They use prism technology, which is a special proprietary polarization. One of the things about sunglasses, actually, you need to protect your eyes. We know to wear sunscreen to protect your skin, but people don't realize that the harmful rays that the sun is beaming down on us all the time, it's not great for our eyes. So you want to protect your eyes. Am I getting across to you people? We need to protect our eyes, and Prism Technology protects your eyes. Oakley is quality. It is all day, um, all day look, look, all day look, all day wearability. You know what I mean? They look great. Lots of styles. I have two of them. I think the one I have is like HFSM. I can never remember the name of that style, so I apologize. I will look it up and tell you next time. Um, look, go to Oakley.com. Look up what Prism Technology is. Go to Oakley.com, and while you're looking up Prism Technology, get some sunglasses. How about that? That, I mean, that, that? You could say, oh, look, here's what Prism Technology is about. And then you'd be like, oh, well, it's really good technology. And they have really good sunglasses and they're really good quality. So, you know, I might as well buy them because, you know, Elliot wears them. And he's kind of a buffoon, but, you know, Oakley's really good. So those two things are trade-off. Anyway, um, I mean, the reason you get them is because you'll be as good as Killian Mbappe, as I said. That's not really true, but you might look as cool as he is. Look, the most important thing I can tell you is that you should be going and buying Oakley sunglasses right now. How many more times do I have to say it? How many more times do I have to harangue and harass you to please enjoy the wonderful products of our sponsor? I'm done. By the way, I do want to say a lot of people told me at our live event that they wished that the uh, ad reads were longer. I'm going to work on that for the new season. I'm going to work on that. So go to Oakley. Clive, is that enough of that? Indeed. Nailed it. I'm going to work on I'm going to try to make them longer. I know people have asked for it. All right, Clive. Let's head to our Future so bright, I got to wear shades portion of the show sponsored by Oakley. <laughs> what do we need at center forward, my friend? <laughs> I, I, I'm going to have this debate with you guys, really, Shameless. and see what you guys think. Because you look at the squad, you're looking at how it can develop. And, you know, I, I tend to look at Man City and you look at what they've, how they've developed over recent years. So they used to have two sprinty wingers in Sane and Sterling. And now they're developed into two controlling wingers in Grealish and Bernardo. And I look at two players that are potentially dropping off the cliff at Arsenal in Smith Rowe and Vieira. If you were to look at, you know, obviously different ages, they're young. But if you look at their profiles, it's quite similar to Grealish and Bernardo as wide men. What we don't have is we don't have a centre forward they can play with. Look at Jack Grealish last year at Man City with the Force 9 Man City. Couldn't find him, mate. Couldn't find him. Give him a centre forward, he suddenly found his role, the most important player in the team. I'm conscious of systems and players, and I'm looking at Arsenal's two centre forwards, and I think they're very close in profile. And I think it really suits Martinelli and Saka. But we can't keep running them into the ground. And so we have to find another way to play. When Eddie comes in, I don't think our diversity of style in the forward areas is, is, is diverse enough. And so I debate mm-hmm. on having a, you know, Eddie, I've been talking about this for two years now, I'm the tall forward. But now I'm convinced. And I wasn't even convinced yesterday. <laughs> but I'm getting more and more mm-hmm. convinced as the hours go forward. Because if we are going to develop other players and develop people within the squad in the forward areas, and we, we've got to give them something to, that develops them. You know, because Smith Rowe can't do what Martinelli does. So let's just forget it. He can't. 
right? So not consistently. You can do it over short periods of time. But as soon as, as, soon as we lack a sprinter, we all look at we all look at it and think, how are we going to get in behind teams? Right? So, but if you have someone who can control the ball, keep possession, which Smith Rowe can do, he's very good at retention of the ball, but also got people he can hit. He suddenly began play off of, bounce off. He becomes a one-touch finishing animal. And that's the player we have to refine. And so I'm looking at finding players that we've invested in. And if you really are serious about your football team, you have to invest in your talent. And that's not by wages, that's by play style. I mean, let's just look up the road at North London at Spurs, right? They've got Harry Kane we have banging to? in goals left, right, and centre. But there's no point if you're giving him Davison Sanchez and Tanganga and Eric Dyer. <laughs> And every time he scores a goal, four in the back of his Keep neck. Keep going. Yeah, but that's the truth. You've got to invest in people. The greatest player in our history, Terry Henry, the back six, look what we gave him. We gave him the back four, which we can all name, and we gave him Gilberto and Vieira in front. Like, Go on, mate, do your work. You know, that's what you've got to do. You've got to invest in people by giving them the right profiles. And I'm fast coming around to conclusion. If we're going to invest in these players to find a different way of playing, either we have four sprinters in wide areas and be done with it and have this cohesion front four, or we say, actually, we want two controllers, two sprinters, maybe another sprinter added, maybe three sprinters, and then you say, we're going to play a different way. But that only works if we change the centre forward. And therein lies the debate. Do we lose two centre forwards this year in the selling and buy one that gives us another way of playing? And I'm coming around to that conclusion but this could change with a tweet from the right person <laughs> I can change my mind <laughs> thoughts on that James do you have any you have any response to that yeah I, I mean to be honest I think you might have well you might have to change your mind Clive it, it just at the moment and we are like June the 2nd these things go on we've got another three months of this much yeah. to my chagrin it, it just doesn't like it's not anything I'm and I know I'm not alone not really hearing anything about looking to to shake things up up top, um, which I agree with you. I, I, I find a little bit, um, yeah, perverse. I mean, I don't even, not even just in terms of having that player that's back to goal that Smith Rowe and um, and guys like that can work with. I mean, it's also just there are so many games where Arsenal, or they, there could be so many games in the Champions League where Arsenal can get penned in, and at some stage you do just need a guy that you can. Lump it to Jesus worked so hard in those aerial duels, mm. Martinelli as well. But it it never hurts to have that variety. I am the person that every England squad of the 2010s, even when he was sort of drifting towards the championship, I was like, take Andy Carroll. You ne- you never know. I mean, we have a Arsenal will be going into Champions League games with benches of 12. Having someone in those games because you have a a, cor- a few corners in the 89th minute and you need to hit someone big in the penalty area it's not the worst thing in the world I think Arsenal do need three centre forwards and Eddie Jesus and someone very different is a good look um, I want to talk about Smith Rowe as well obviously oh, oh yeah yeah. yes I do uh, I said yep. only coming on the podcast because I find this one really interesting it, it's something I well alright Jed let, let's move to it T- tell me your thoughts. But by the way, I'll just say we, we were linked to one striker. I think his name was Wahi in, in France. Like the, you see these links that don't make any sense because it's kind of like, well, we have a better player on loan in France. Like if that's really the interest, you just bring Balogun home. Um, 
you know, and and you don't go buy a, a less good player from out of the same league. Anyway, just a thought there. So, all right, let's get on to ESR. I mean, um, free swim, James. What, what are your opening opening salvo here? Opening thoughts on the Smith Rowe situation? Yeah, so obviously <clears throat> there was a meeting last Thursday between Smith Rowe representatives and uh, the Arsenal Brain Trust. Um, I, and I don't think it would be unreasonable to say that. So from what I've heard from people close to Smithrow, there's there's quite a lot of frustration going into this meeting, not just um, in terms of the lack of minutes, which we we all talked about week in week out. But I think, and this is a a question for Arteta in the years moving forward, as much as he has assuaged almost every doubt around him, there is still this way in which he manages where you are a hundred percent in, or it can seem to players. 100% out. Um, and I think one of the things with Smith Rowe was there was maybe a sense that he didn't really even know what he'd done wrong to find mm. himself cast to the peripheries. Obviously, coming back from an injury, it's hard and it was hard for Arteta to break up a winning team. Um, but look, there was like quite, from what I was told, quite a lot of frustration there. Uh, and that meeting could have gone differently if Arsenal, and let's be clear, Arsenal told Smith Rowe he was staying. Um, that's the, that's the angle you'll have seen from David Ornstein. That's what I heard as well. Um, this was less dialogue, more uh, a statement from Arsenal. It's interesting. And I think that's mm. really encouraging for, for Smith Rowe. It's obviously a boyhood Arsenal fan. He would want to stay, but I, I do wonder how well, and and he Arteta has acknowledged this, but how the next stage for Arteta in his man management is being able to keep a squad of 20, 22 happy. Every season, it seems to collapse inwards to a group of about 14, 15 players at best that he trusts. Champions League might, mm. might solve some of these questions. You need a squad of 18, 19, 20. Um, but I think with someone like Smith Rowe, when when the talent is so obvious, to run the risk of emotionally losing him, that's a that's a real that, that's a, one of the possibly the only mark I would have against Arteta this season. Hmm. And last, interesting, Clive. Now I think this is something that's a developing topic. It's quite hard for us to speculate with these. Well, James has alluded to there about Smithrow. I, I have heard similar things that there's been a lack of transparency on what's wrong, what left to, what I have to do to get back in, you know. And um, but we can never tell, right? We're not on the training ground. Could be one little word or what communication mis misunderstood or um, things happen, right? And my view on this has always been quite the same, and. I talk to players, I say the same thing. Make yourself impossible to ignore. Just play so well when the opportunities come that you force people to change their minds. Trust me on this. Any manager or any coach will play you if you're if you're shooting the lights out. It's as simple as that. They are so they want to win. They want to win more than any of us. If there's a player that's absolutely ripping it and he's ripping it more than somebody else, that player's coming in. There's politics, there's money, there's value of players to protect, etc. Chairman's bought player for 100 million. Can you play him, please, Mr. Manager? There's things like that that happen in football because you don't want to devalue your assets. These things happen. Let's not pretend it doesn't. But if a player is ripping it, 
he will get played. It wasn't so long ago that Smith Rowe fought his way into the majors' eye line. Maybe before, maybe before I even thought he would. But the game's changed. The standards have raised, and what he was doing before is no longer enough at this moment in time. But let's see. You know, England under 21s playing in the summer, aren't they, James? And I think, um, yep, he's he he's should get player, picked. Yeah, he should get picked, right? So he might feel valued there, get his confidence back. I'm the man, give me the ball, stick up in the top corner, and suddenly we get a new player come back in. So he's he's not mm. on big money yet. He's sitting there, one of our own. Mate, I'm we got time. We got time. If someone I, drops forty mil on the on our on our laps though, that's the bit of drop forty mil on our laps. What do you do? So a couple of things to say about Smith Rowe. Firstly, I think a fit and informed Smith Rowe can give you some of the things we don't have in the squad in other places. I think he has a lot of nice interchangeability in terms of qualities and characteristics on the pitch that aren't necessarily covered by the other players. You look at Jesus, you look at Trissard, you look at Saka. You might say they're all very different players, but I think they they give you similar things. Their interiors, they carry, they carry inside, they're dribbly, they're, you know, they're strong on the ball. They're, you know, th- their qualities, I think, are analogous. Smith Rowe, he runs in straight lines. He finishes off either foot. And with his head, really. I mean, I think he's he's he can do that. Um, he's a carrier. You know, he's a straight line player. And I think when we don't have Martinelli, for example, we see how much we miss that. Right? When we try to line up with Jesus, Saka, and Trissard, I think we lack Martinelli's stretching and width. And I think some of the directness of Smithrow could be a really nice addition. The issue with Smithrow for me is very simple. He just can't be relied upon to be fit and be available. That's not his fault. But I think Mikel Arteta is someone who who has a problem with that, who has an issue with that. I, I have heard it said, and I obviously have no idea um, whether it is true or not, that he's there have been times when it was felt that Smith Rowe could have played, you know, could have could have been available and and played through something and didn't. Again, that is that is the kind of thing that I almost immediately regret repeating only because having no ability to measure it. We don't, we don't know. know do we? It's we been don't it's know. been it's something that's been said. But like but but so what I would say, James, is one of the interesting things about players being injured, guys, come on. We've been through this. There is never a better player than the player who's been out an extended period of time. Abu Diabi was a lovely player. Was he ever as good as what we built him up to be? He could have been. I mean, he absolutely could have been. But we don't really know. Like the one season he played a lot was a mix and match season for him. But when he was out, he became Vieira. You know, he became he became something unique and extraordinary. Thomas Rosicki, we, what we turned him into when he was out, right? Sandy Cazorla, to be fair, I think he was what we turned him into when he was out. Um, but we've, we've had this history with injured players of starting to elevate what the... I remember when Thomas Vermeilen was out. Oh, we could have won the title if Vermeilen stayed fit. <laughs> Vermeilen was never that guy. He was never him. Um, so, James, this is a tough one because I think Emil Smith-Rowe is very, very talented. We've seen him be our second-leading scorer in a season. I think he gives us qualities we don't have without him. But how do you commit to a player who, in that critical Champions League group stage game where he would have started, or in that critical you know, 1-1 at 70 minutes when you need something to break it open, when you look to the bench and want to see him on it, he's on the training table instead. Like, I think those are difficult players to commit to. You know, Granite Shaka 
is always available. I don't think it's any um, coincidence that Declan Rice is a target. And I'm, I'm scared to say this out loud, but I'm going to say it. Not only because he's so talented and so young, and but he's he's always available. And we, we say it often, but it is true. One of the best abilities is availability. So how, how do you really think about Emil Smith-Rowe? Because the potential is clear, but the availability has always been a challenge. And that that's something you just can't, you can't predict or can't rely on. Yeah, so good to see that Declan Rice is now out of the Conference League final. West Ham's <laughs> I know. biggest game in a generation. I'm sure they will. Thanks, thank you. Thanks Elliot. to me. Yeah. Um, so Jinx is unrivaled. A bit of um, reporting here, although I think it's all stuff that's out there. Um, there was a, oh God, this is particularly like grim. There was basically an issue with um, Smith Rowe's pubis bone. It mm. is. Um, this was and this was what the surgery was on. Uh, Let's just say that again as clearly as possible. Pubis, pubis. bone. We're not. We're not afraid. We're not afraid the of anatomy groinal, here on this podcast. Groinal area. So to speak. groinal area. Yeah. Um, and, and that that was where a lot of these nagging injuries were coming from. Um, from what I was told, there were occasions where he couldn't kick the ball without feeling pain. Um, mm. But equally, it was an injury he played through, and and that kind of can that can contribute to the belief that if you can play through it sometimes, why can't you play through it other times? And, and these questions happen. I, I Can I stop you just for a second, James? Because I want to be clear about something. I'm more of the belief that a player with a nagging persistent injury should not play through it. Mm. They should get fully fit. That a player who is not fully fit doesn't give you a whole hell of a lot and they can make it worse. So I don't want my comment to be regarded in any way as saying he should have played through injury. I was reporting, not reporting, repeating merely something. No. Like that. And that's what, that's what, um, happens isn't it that's what you need to you need to do that and the hope would be since um smith rowe had that surgery and came back from the world cup and he took longer than than arsenal wanted and that he wanted um because if i remember rightly he was no, he was nowhere near ready after the world cup but since then there hasn't been another setback i fully agree with you though if it if it rears its head again next season I'm sorry, you just can't make plans going forward around a player that whose availability is questionable. Um, the hope would be that if you fix the underlying issue, that's that's it. There's no there's no excuses. There's no flare ups again. We shall see. It, it has been a um, quite a lot of time that's been wasted with this injury. I think it's one that goes right the way back to when he was first breaking through. It cost him his whole RB Leipzig loan. Um, cost him a lot of even that season where he was Arsenal's second highest scorer. So this is the make or break moment for him, I guess. If he's fully fit, yeah. we need to, we need to see it. We need to see that, that player of the first half of 2021 to 22 for a whole season. And then like Clive was saying, you can't drop him then, can you? Well, maybe you can, but if, no. you, if you can, it's probably because Martinelli or Vieira or whoever is, is playing even better. It, it's tough too. Cause I think there are certain players you just can't afford to lose. I don't know if Smith Rowe is in that category quite like yeah. we sold Iwobi, we got better. We sold Joe Willock, we got better. Not because those guys left, but my point is more we didn't we didn't suffer for losing them. We actually improved each of the subsequent seasons, right? Like so uh, and and they made room for players that needed to have room to to thrive. Like Bukayo Saka is not where he is in his career right now if Alex Iwobi had stayed at Arsenal. I believe that. Um but look, I, I I have to admit, I think Smith Rowe's in a different talent level. Jack Wilshire, though, 
Probably the best teenager not named Cesc Fabregas I've ever seen play for Arsenal. And we waited a long time for Jack. And it never happened. We probably held ourselves back waiting for Jack. If you're ever going to wait for a player, you wait for Jack Wilshire. Is Emil Smith-Rowe in that category? Can we afford to keep waiting for him to arrive, Clive? And arrive fit? Hey, look, I think... I, I think he's... I, I'm not as... I'm not as dramatic about this. I, I just think... He has had... I'll play dramatic music under your segment just to <laughs> prove you're dramatic about it. I'm um, going to do that. And this has been going on for a number of years. And again... You're never quite sure what goes on behind closed doors. Maybe he's wanted to operation for quite a while and Arsenal wanted him to, to rest through it and play through. Like these things happen, like people have different advice, etc. I, I don't know. I'm getting to speculation. Well, all I know is on a football pitch, he needs to be fitter, look better. Now, I've watched him come on this year and he hasn't said to me, you have to play. So everything that you're saying are based on memories. And I've seen them. I've seen his recent games. I've seen when he has been our best player. I've been our most inventive forward. I've been in the stadium and watched those games. So I've seen his highest moments at Arsenal. I've seen them. And he's not close to that at the moment. And so step one, let's get close to that. Let's start moving like you used to move. Because you're not moving like you used to move right now. That's clear to me. You know, Will so, he ever? What about the change in his body? Well, why not? Why he's not? Big, he's, he's just like... He's a, he's a big boy. He's a six-foot lad, and he's got big muscles, so he's going to have to change his game slightly. He's going to have to adapt to his game. You know, and um, It's been a problem well, for me. Well, Jack Wilson, you know, he didn't adapt his game when his burst went. He still went into challenges with, yeah. without, with no regard for human safety, right? So, um, And it cost him, right? So smith has got to adjust his game, but he, has, he needs time on the pitch to adjust his game, to find his role. It's the first thing first. Get some time on the pitch playing for England, hopefully. Keep yourself fit over the summer. Don't pop off to Marbella. No, stay in training, right? Get yourself back. So when you come back, you are ahead of... You are ahead of Reese Nelson. Let's start there, shall we? Because Reese Nelson looks mm. pretty sharp to me. You know? Yeah. Um, Trust has come in and now taking his role and taking his minutes. You have to deal with him now, Emil. You've got to deal with him. And last time I looked, he's got 10, 11 assists in his time on the pitch. And he can play in multiple positions on the left and play false nine. He plays on the right wing. He's taking his minutes. So now you've got to deal with him. How you going to deal with him? By being not fit, not sharp? Got to be fit. You've got to be lean. got to be ready to go. And that's the environment that we have. And I'm afraid, I'm, I know there are lots of people I really, really respect about football and they love this player. And they love him and they, and I do, and certain other players. So, and they, they try to find a way back for them. It's just natural when you have your favorites. You want to find a reason why it's not happening. I do it. I do it myself, you know, and, but he's someone I struggle to see and I can't see him in the team yet. Apart from my center forward scenario. Is he going to be our Grealish? If he is, we've got to change our forward lineup. And, that, and that's potentially where he could be. Yeah. It, it's tough, too, because I I, <clears throat> I think he's at a stage of his career where he needs to start playing every game. He's going to have to work his way to that point at Arsenal. There's no way this season he gets 25 starts, 30 starts. It's not happening. But he's also at a point in his career where a lot, you know, you got to stop having loans at some point. You know what I mean? It, that's just it. And so, 
my instinct would be if we want to keep Smith Rowe, loan him out. Because there's no Europa League. What's he going to play? 20 minutes of a couple Champions League group stage games, start one League Cup game, start one FA Cup game, maybe. And then if he's really good in those, he can buy himself 10 minutes here and there. He needs a season of playing. So it's a really tough make or break moment in his career because if you're going out on loan at this stage of your career, that you're not really on track, are you? If there's a good offer for him, he hasn't put himself, let's put it this way, into the category for me of a player who, if he goes, it, it damages what we can achieve because we've just kind of moved past him. It's sad, but we have moved a little bit past him. Having said that, I think on his day, his talent level is such that if we can find a way to develop it, we would be a better team for it. But there's a lot of speculation in there. I should make the point, by the way, because we didn't say this on the Saliba front. I'll just touch on this quickly. I'll come right back to you, Clive. We didn't talk about the back issue. You know, and I, I will just say, much like I'm saying with Smith Rowe, if you're about to give someone 220 grand a week or 200 grand a week or 180 grand a week because you think they're at the top of the game, you better be sure they're not going to be on the training table half the season, every season because of a back issue. And back issues, they can be really persistent in big men. Sorry, but Clive, uh, finishing up on the Smith Rowe topic there. And my yeah, point I about think, um, him playing. Some of that Andrew said yesterday, and I, I really agree with them. You're looking at players like Kieran Tierney. They look disconnected from the group. Mm, they yeah. don't look very happy. You look at Sleeper, he looks connected to the group. I look at Smith Rowe and I think, mm, you look connected sometimes. Sometimes you look disconnected. Mm. So he falls in the middle. And if you listen to what James said earlier, acutely as I did, he said, Arsenal told him you were staying. He didn't say that yeah. Smith Rowe really wants to stay. You know, and, mm. to, and so not, there's. I didn't say he cons- wants to leave. He didn't say he wants to leave either, James. So, but you see what he said? Arsenal told yeah. him you were staying, yeah. and that, and that's what he said, and that's what, and that's what's out there. And so there are there are scenarios within that statement that can easily develop based on offers, confidence of a player, how content a player is. So let's just hold our thoughts on this one. We're in the we're in the realms of speculation but my mind is open you know but on the football side i've made it clear what i think he could be so i'm i'm looking forward to going on twitter later today and seeing the aggregator sites emil smith rowe hates arsenal wants to leave james benj via arsenal vision podcast looking forward to those those tweets <laughs> coming out from the aggregator <laughs> it's the best <laughs> it is the best man. time of the year <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't know that he can. Um yeah, th- this is an this is an interesting one though and it will it, it is tough because the emotion around it probably clouds the logic. Like if he wasn't an academy player, I think there'd be a lot more shrugging of shoulders like, yeah, we've seen some good things from him if he goes, he goes. Cuz James, I think one of the frustrations people have right is Vieira got chances Smith Rowe didn't get. You know, there's this th- there's this hierarchy. By the way, I, to the point of him being connected I was at that Bournemouth game, as I say, three to four times every podcast. And one of the people celebrating the most fervently and enthusiastically with Reese Nelson was Emil Smithrow. Um, and it was it was great to see. But what are your thoughts on on that player, on the Vieira? Because I think there are a lot of people that that think the chances Vieira got were too numerous and should have gone to Smithrow. I think Vieira has been misunderstood. I think he's better than people have labeled him. I think the Southampton performance upset people, although being a goal down early changed the temperature of that game and changed the challenge of that game in a way that I don't think suited him particularly well. 
We spend a lot of money on Vieira. When you do that, you tend to invest in him, especially when he's a player the manager bought versus an academy player that the managers made some pointed comments about. But do you see those two as a one-for-one competition in the squad? Mm. And 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 how do you think about Vieira in that context? Yeah, I, I, I do think in the end, it's hard to see an Arsenal where both Vieira and Smith-Rowe prosper long-term. Um, and look, you know, Vieira's Mikel Arteta signing in the same way that every signing is an, is an Arteta signing. Mm-hmm. I, well, I, to be honest, I'm one of those people I have to confess that, that struggle to understand Vieira yet because, you know, I do see, I see talent with the ball at his feet. Um, but watching him, I can find a little bit frustrating overwhelmingly just because I, I, I look at the player, his body type and how he deals with challenges and physicality. And I wonder, is that ever, is that ever going to be the level that is required for the Premier League? He looks, and this, you catch yourself thinking, you can't, you can be lightweight and be effective. You know, Bernardo Mm. Silva proves that, but it becomes an awful lot harder if you can't win any of your duels. And I think that's why supporters find him frustrating, isn't it? Is it's not just that he can't, you know, he can't win them. He bounces off. You know, it, it's a bit like having a Victorian chimney sweep in midfield. It, it's not <laughs> a great, it's not a great physical profile. And and when we look at how Man City have improved this season by becoming bigger, taller, stronger, steal your lunch money team, I were I would worry that Vieira could get bullied without a growth spurt, without putting on some muscle mass. Equally, and I think maybe the frustration is, he was at Arsenal a year. We've seen players like like a Smith-Rowe who, who came back looking huge. Maybe maybe Arsenal's coaching staff and physios don't want Vieira to get that big, but it, he does did seem like he hadn't adapted to the physicality of the league. Totally entitled to more than a year to do that. But that that's where my worry is because... I know it sometimes can come across as reductive, but I struggle to see many players in the Premier League. You have to be outstanding technically and outstanding in your understanding of space, which Vieira on occasion only is because he was kind of trying to find the spaces where he wouldn't get the ball. You have to be so good to make that a success. And um, I haven't seen it yet. I really hope I get to it. He's one of the players I'll be watching the most closely in pre-season, but £40 million is, is a lot of money for a player with a sort of physical issue that I personally think makes it really hard to be successful in the Premier League. The latter point I think is really, yeah, is, is really the one that's going to wind up maybe being a decider here. What what the Saliba thing last summer taught me though is to never completely rule out any development in the relationship between player and club because it goes in directions you just, you don't predict. I really thought it was a very safe prediction thinking that Saliba and Arsenal were maybe at, at uh, too too far apart in terms of the way things had developed, and I couldn't have been more wrong. So, you know, we we keep hope alive for Smith Rowe. Let's finish on this, Clive. It, outgoings are going to be interesting, maybe as interesting as as incomings. You want something different at center forward. Right now, what we have different from Jesus and Trossard is Enkedia nipping at his heels in France is renowned American striker Flo Balogun. Um, I don't think there's room for all of them. 
I don't think Flo Maligan wants to be the other guy. How would you handle that? If you were Edu, so, you know, imagine you're out barbecuing right now, post Instagram, photo, Instagram photos of you barbecuing out and about. Um, if there was the opportunity to move on in Kedia and try to make room for Balogun, is that a move you would make? If you could move on both and try to bring in a totally different profile, are either of those guys at the level we need to take the next step that we want to take? Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure, honestly. If I said to you right now, our front three are out and we have to go into a game with Trossard, Nelson, and Inketia, then would you have to say in confidence? Who are we playing? Um, so, um, <laughs> if it spurs, no problem. So we need, a, we, we need a situation where we have a configuration that's different in that front six, right? So you know my thoughts here earlier. I think, hey, look, the way I see it going is I see us investing in the in the centre mid and maybe particularly in defence and maybe one attacker. And I think that should be a a stretcher, a sprinter that penetrates to allow us to rest our 21-year-olds. But then next season, I see Arsenal, if they're in Champions League in particular, breaking their transfer record for another forward. And whether that be the forward of the period, of that moment... You can try to project forward and you can look what's happening around the, the world. You can look at Carlo Morani coming out of Germany. You can look at Evan Ferguson at Brighton. What's he going to be like in a year's time, potentially? Is he going to be the next sort of Harry Kane-style centre forward? You can have, you can, you're going to have to project, really, and see what's going to, what's going to happen there. But that's how I see it potentially developing. Um, I would like to see something different. In those areas, and I'm not afraid to to sell, but Arsenal like Eddie, and I see them persisting with it. You know, so and that's where I say I don't think it's much of a discussion trying to say that because I think the the mood music has been we like these players, we want to persist, and my personal view is I, I want to see more. I want to see something slightly different there. Well, we'll wait and see. It doesn't have to be a target man centre forward. You know, if you offer me Marcus Rashford style centre forward, you know that's the style of forward I like. Wing forwards that are that are strong. Didn't mm. have to be a Giroud type centre forward for me. You know, I like wing forwards. I just want to see something different to what we already have. I got a bone to pick with Andrew about Giroud. Maybe I'll do it offline. But he made a positive Giroud comment on his last on the last Arscast. The Arscast just came out, yeah. and I, I, I had, I want, I was screaming at my listening device. Now I know what everybody goes through, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna reach out to Andrew on that one. Um, no, we had a discussion about you, mate, on soft factors. Don't worry about it. He's ready for you when you're ready. <laughs> when they don't you're exist. Ready as I've always been clear, they don't <laughs> exist. I've come around. I've softened, so to speak. Um, happens with age. It's okay. There's medicine for that. Um, um, so, uh, James, we'll, we'll finish on that, but I, I think it's interesting, right? Cause you look at like a Liverpool team that we lionized, you know, the squad they built to go challenge for champions leagues and challenge for premier leagues. And then you look at some of the players are in it and they've got a Divock Origi, mm. you know, they've, they've got a player like that, um, that maybe people don't rate all that highly, but who comes in and plays at critical moments. They've got an Abby Keita. Well, to be fair, I once thought Keita might be the best midfielder in the world <laughs> once upon a time. So, you know. Yeah, so did Liverpool. Um, I think my point is that it depends what a player is happy with. If Enkedi is happy to play 700 minutes in a season, 
but they might be critical minutes and he might win you the Manchester United. Like if all we got from Enkedia were, you know, was the winner against United, everyone would be thankful. The problem is we got a couple other starts that didn't go so well. And that's really the issue, right? Is, is what role are they happy with and what role would they accept? I get, I get the sense that you might be able to keep an Enkedia happy in this group with what he does. Maybe, maybe that's way off. I don't know. I don't get the sense Balogun just by the mood music would be happy with that. So how would you handle that situation? Move both, replace, keep one, move one, keep both, keep everyone, have a 47-man squad, pay everyone a million pounds a week, solve I, world hunger, poverty. I would like, you know, if, if I were Edu, I would be pretty open to moving both. I think the question that, that sort of underlies it, though, is a little bit, you know, and Clive referenced this here, what, what comes around in 24 25 um will there come a time when i know this is perverse because gabriel jesus has changed arsenal's ceiling massively but he's not the best center forward in the world and he he may not be the best center forward in the world next year and i mean maybe arsenal can't afford and will never be able to afford an erling Haaland. but will a time come you know you need to to keep spaces and, and room in the squad to grow. And if you went out and bought a Rasmus Hoyland, Colomwani, uh, whoever, does that then limit your ability to develop and get the ultra top tier, top three, top four striker in the world if that mm. opportunity presents itself next season? You know, it seems to me Nketiah is, is fairly relaxed with being, well, I think we should say is second slash third choice we're going to see a lot of Trossard as a centre forward yeah. next season. And uh, I, I, I hope Martinelli. Yeah. I'd like to see that. I'd love to see that. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that is, that is different. And, um, you know, if Trossard and Martinelli are starting together, who really is the centre forward there? It, it will change every five minutes. Um, Balogun, it's just, it'd been a, a huge success for the Arsenal Academy, but it's just a great moment to, to sell. Let him be the star um, and, and get great money for a player who, has had a really good season, but I, I don't even think many at Arsenal would project as, as ever having a ceiling that's like, God, we should never have sold him. So I think you do need to keep your your options open maybe and, and just find that guy that can get some minutes coming in for Saka, but maybe can get some minutes coming in for Jesus as well. Um, we all forget that Jesus' best, best form for City was as a right winger. So, mm, yeah versatility and, yeah. and room to grow need to be need to be factored in this is a long-term long-term push to to eventually de- dethrone city or at least hope you find a season where city are injured enough that you can sneak in they win the treble pep retires the premier league docks them 40 points <laughs> arsenal win the title them. upon title upon title um look i i do think it's worth pointing out i don't think a team has won the premier league in as long as I can think of, without having, if not the best player in the league, a guy who ha- has a case for being the best player in the league. And you can go back as far as you want. Arsenal certainly did it. Manchester United won that one last title with Robin Van Persie. Painful as it may be to remember. I think Kevin De Bruyne has been somehow underrated, but every season City has won it. He was right there as one of the players of the league, players in the world. And then Holland, obviously, this season. Mohamed Salah was one of the best players in the world when Liverpool won it. Do we have that guy? That guy who can, you know, it, it is the case that, I mean, it, it 
pains me to say it, but Spurs got kind of close to doing some special stuff because of Harry Kane and no other reason. Do we have that? Is Saka going to grow into being that guy? Is Martinelli? Maybe it's Odegaard. But I think we, if we're not going to buy that guy, and buying that guy is increasingly very hard for our club. Because as big as we are and as much money as we have, buying the Mbappe, buying the Holland may, is still probably one step beyond what we can do. I think for us to go on and do what you're saying, it's not going to just be what we do in the market. One of these guys, or all of them, Martinelli, Odegaard, Saka, one of them is going to have to go on and become De Bruyne, Salah, you know, that, that level. Um, so that when when games are tight, they do... So, like, look at what Saka did against United in the home game. Sometimes, no matter how good you are, someone's got to pull something out that just takes your breath away. We've seen so many Arsenal players down the years that could do it. Alexis could do it. Robin Van Persie, Thierry Henry, Dennis Bergkamp, right? We can name all the names, but like... I, I think one of these guys has to go on to become that level for us, and that may be the last piece. I think we should leave it there. Uh, 90 minutes on a Friday. Uh, I think one of the best pods we've ever done. Um, aside from James dropping the bomb that Emil Smith-Rowe wants out of Arsenal, which I, I hope the aggregators caught on to. Uh, we will leave it there. Thank you so much. We love you so much for being here. It really is the pleasure of a lifetime to to have this this podcast, this community, and, and to meet people and, and share this together. So, Clive's on Twitter, Clive PFC. Happy birthday, Clive. Thank you very much. James Benj is on Twitter, at, get this, James Benj. Thank you, James Benj. Thank you so much for having me. My name, unfortunately, is Elliot Smith, but you can block me on Twitter, at Yankee Gunner. As I keep saying, we love you, and we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, Transfer Window next